This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes a big chance. The shot is. Is this the tagger? The neutral zone. This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Rock Richardson. You know, obviously I have forgotten that we turned the clocks back an hour. Some of you out there are thinking, what? What does this have to do with anything? And that's because it is dark in my office because I have forgotten to turn the light on. So I am doing the neutral zone this week in the dark because I forget that the sun sets around right about now. So, I'm doing the show from the dark, but I have also learned that this may be a good thing for my vision as things are a little bit clearer, so things happen for a reason. You're, of course, listening to another edition of The Neutral Zone. I am indeed your host, Brock Richardson, and I'm joined by Cam Jenkins. Cam, how are you? I'm doing okay, Brock. I was just thinking, uh, should I also go in the dark so we can all be in the dark together? Or you could, you could, if if you uh, want to join the club. <laughs> you know, I'm doing okay, but uh, this afternoon, I'm not going to lie. It's um, Twitter kind of went crazy because of the Argos and. Uh, McLeod Bethel Thompson uh, being at the Raptors game and he broke protocols. So um, I'm sure we'll probably get into it later in the show. But yeah, Twitter was uh, quite the uh, cesspool uh, this afternoon in regards to that. So yeah, I've just kind of been uh, uh, reading that all afternoon. Yeah, we are going to touch on that because I saw your uh your tweet with all of us and i want to know some information but we'll get into that when we do cfl talk a little later on in the program uh also joining us is josh watson josh how are you and are you going to be joining the dark club for this next hour i refuse to be in the dark because i spend too much time there as it is so no i have plenty of lights on in the place but i'm doing well uh, got a busy weekend planned, had a busy week at work, so all's good. And uh, yeah, we, we have some interesting news here to share from the uh, folks at Canadian Blind Hockey, which I know you want to get into sooner than later. So, Yes, so do tell we'll, us that news. Uh, we will talk about that. Sure, no problem. Uh, according to an email that we received just before we came on the air, The Canadian Blind Hockey Program uh, wants to pass along the final chance to take part in the Try It Day that they're hosting in Windsor next week. If you are interested, it looks like we have some contact information. Uh, We can get that out later in the show, but it is going to be Saturday, December the 11th, 11.30 a.m. at the WFCU Center in Windsor. Uh, You will require proof of full vaccination as per public health guidelines. But that is an amazing opportunity for anyone who's wanted to try blind hockey to go out and do so if you're in the Windsor area or want to make the trip. We'll uh, tweet that out at all of our Twitter handles, which you'll get a bit later on in the show. But uh, blind hockey is a great uh, 
sport and Canadian Blind Hockey Association is a great organization. Uh, we've had the opportunity here at the Neutral Zone to do a couple of the uh, hockey championships, hoping to get back to that in March if uh, COVID will allow. Um, yeah, it's just a really great event overall and the sport is great. So a try it day is definitely encouraged. Let's get into our headlines for this week. Team Canada Soccer will host the United States in Hamilton on January 30th in a key World Cup qualifying game. Uh, if this World Cup qualifying game was anything like it was when it was out west uh, in Edmonton, it is going to be an absolute phenomenal watch. I think it's going to be sold out. And anytime that you know you're rooting for Team Canada, everyone's going to come out and cheer them on. We send out a big congratulations to Team Brad Gushu and Jennifer Jones for qualifying in the uh, Beijing 2022 Olympic Games, which will be held, of course, in Beijing. And Jennifer Jones will be the Canadian women's representative and Brad Gushu will be the Canadian men's representative. And a lot of people say this is the hardest trials to get out of because... Canada produces a lot of good talent of curlers. Now, as producer of this program, I can tell you that we are working on getting one or both of those team representatives to join us on the program to talk about their preparation headed into Beijing 2022. Well, that will certainly be exciting. After nine years at the helm, Marc Bergevin is out as general manager of the Montreal Canadiens. With Vibergevin at the helm this season, Montreal posted just 12 points, which is the lowest in franchise history. The team has hired Jeff Gorton as VP of Hockey Operations, and I, for one, am not surprised. This has been talked about since last year in the playoffs when Montreal went up against the Toronto Maple Leafs. There was talk then that if Montreal didn't beat Toronto, that they would make a change at general manager. It didn't happen then because they went on that amazing run. But the time has come, unfortunately. I think Mark Bergevin is a great uh, general manager. However, I think he just had run out of welcome in Montreal. Blue Jays have acquired starting pitcher Kevin Ghostman five years at $110 million. Marcus Simeon and Robbie Ray have since signed deals with the Seattle Mariners and the Texas Rangers, respectively. I think that this is going to turn out to be a phenomenal deal with Kevin Gozman. Uh, he did really good in the National League in the West, and he might need a little bit of time to get used to the AL East um, because of the designated hitter. Uh, he didn't have to deal with that over in the National League. And uh, yeah, with his sinker that everyone talks about, I think that he's going to be a, a, you know, a good quality J for years to come. Those are your headlines for this week. Let's check in on our Twitter poll questions. Going back to last week, we asked you, how excited are you for the Canadian Football League playoffs? 42% of you said very and not at all. And 16% of you said just a little bit. I was really happy to see that most of the poll uh, were people that were very excited or just a little. It's good to see that Canadian football is still alive in the country. 
this week's question is follows our first headline as to the uh, World Cup qualifying game. The question is, will you be attending it in January in Hamilton? The answers are yes, no, would love to, it's too cold. So cast your votes at our Twitter handles, which will be given out in a bit. Coming up after the break, we're going to speak with goalball player Amy Burke about her experience in Tokyo and what it was like being blind and partially sighted amidst a pandemic. Stay tuned for that conversation. On the other side of the break, you're listening to The Neutral Zone on AMI-audio. We'll be back. to get in touch with the neutral zone on twitter number one at ami audio number two at neutral zone br number three at neutral zone cb number four at neutral zone cam j and number five at j watson 200 now get out there and tweet one for the gipper Welcome back to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Cam Jenkins and Josh Watson. And as Cam mentioned to me on the break, and we talked about it earlier on Kelly and Company, it is International Persons with Disabilities Day out there. So uh, here, here to all of us out there with um, disabilities. And I hope in some way you are celebrating uh, your disability in a positive way because being a person with a disability can be a very good thing. Uh, we're going to be joined by our guest today, Amy Burke, who comes to us from Ottawa, Ontario, and is a four-time Paralympian in the Women's Goalball event. She joins us now to discuss her tremendous career and her experience in Tokyo. Amy, thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome to the program. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Amy, if we can start off, can you let us know a little bit about how you first got involved with goalball? Yeah, so I was, um, oh gosh, uh, <laughs> I was 11 and um, I had a teacher. So I'm originally from PEI and I had a teacher that knew um, that I was uh, right into sports and and uh, you know, I was starting to struggle um, with the team sports at uh, the in 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 school. So he uh, introduced me to goalball, and um, and that's basically how I how I first found the sport. And um, I went to one of their practices in PEI and uh, uh, was insanely scared off and um, decided that that might not be something for me, and kind of basically ran away with my tail between my legs kind of thing. So you mentioned, Amy, that you're kind of scared and you went uh, your tail between your legs. And in your bio, it kind of alludes to that because uh, in your bio, it says that you were, uh, quote unquote, jaw dropped, uh, that grown women voluntarily threw themselves on the ground to stop a ball. Um, Now, that doesn't sound appealing for anybody. Um, So what uh, ultimately made you want to play the sport? 
Uh, yeah, it was, uh, like like I said, it was definitely jaw-dropping when I first saw it. And I had elite-level players um, in PEI with me. Uh, Contessa Scott, who was a huge part of the Canadian team, and she threw the ball fast. And, you know, I basically said, no, this isn't for me. And then the next year, I'm, I'm not really sure what happened. It just kind of, I don't know if I just became a little more mature, but I just felt like I never really gave the sport um a chance that it deserved. And, um, and with it being, you know, the only sport for blind and visually impaired athletes, I figured, you know, I really do need to give this a chance. And, and I'm so grateful and, and thankful that I did go back and give it a chance at such a young age. Um, yeah, like it has tremendously changed, like has shaped my life since then. Now we do want to touch a little bit upon the fact that you have just returned from Tokyo recently from the Paralympic Games. And unfortunately, it doesn't sound like you and your teammates had the result that you wanted. <laughs> That's probably putting it mildly. Um, <laughs> can you talk to us a little bit about your experience and about the uh, competition over in Tokyo? Yeah, so uh, we ran into some uh, some injuries before uh, we even arrived in Tokyo. So at one of our staging camps, um, in Japan, before going to the village, I suffered uh, a back injury that had basically taken me out of the whole competition, which um, was a huge downer uh, for our team. And, um, you know, and like you said, we uh, we definitely did not finish anywhere close to where we uh, had expected to. And uh, um, But you know what? And that that's just the thing with sport, right, is, you know, injuries come and it's how you adapt that. And I think ultimately we did adapt. Uh, well, it's just the competition at the Paralympic level is just so high. Um, you know, every team deserves to be there and they're just, you know, it, it's such good competition. So to just suffer from injury um, right before even competition starts, you know, kind of really put us put us behind the eight ball. Um, but I mean, you know, it's just one of those things on how resilient you are and how, how well you adapt to it. And, um, you know, I at least could help give that experience from my previous games from the bench with our, because uh, we had a bunch of uh, uh, Paralympic debuts happening on our team. So, you know, we at least got to, I got to give them that experience and my perspective on things, but it was, uh, yeah, we definitely just uh, kind of got behind it all with injury and it was just hard to come back from. I think that's certainly understandable. We have had a number of athletes join us who did compete at the Paralympics, and we've covered a number of different angles, but one that we haven't talked about yet, and we, we want to touch on with you, is as an athlete with a visual impairment, it's my understanding as a sighted person, that you tend to use touch to help you navigate. And so in the midst of a pandemic, I'm curious to know were there any concerns that you or your teammates might have had going to the games given that you pretty much have to feel your way around yeah so uh our team was very fortunate enough um everyone basically on our team has some uh levels of vision so we were fortunate enough that we didn't really have to rely on the whole touch aspect um one of the big things for us though is the dining hall is just ginormous and you know trying to read um 
the the menus on what is at each station did become very hard with the the COVID restrictions and stuff because they would have these guards up and it became harder to read um, the menu basically on like what was put out each day. Um, but we've seen, you know, they had uh, they had it very well done with um, uh, noise crossings and they had at uh, one point, I think midway through the games after there ended up being an incident with a visually impaired uh, athlete and one of their self-driving cars, um, they started having people um, volunteers on every corner to make sure that, you know, the blind and visually impaired were getting across safely and not having to be thrown off by these self-driving cars. Um, and then other countries, you know, we saw, you know, they continued um, just doing kind of like the buddy system is what it seemed like to us. Is So, you know, they kind of stuck with one person from their delegation and, and would carry on that way. And um, even we had one uh, very low sighted girl on our team and that's basically all we did. You know, we had very strict COVID protocols in place, but um, we put her, she was with basically one teammate the whole time um, because with how our apartment was set out, um, everybody had their own room basically to make sure we were isolated from each other when we weren't competing and training. Um, but these two girls were put together for that extra help. Um, and then, you know, we would kind of help share the load when it came to dining because we were all wearing the proper PPE and, and, and everything like that. So we were, you know, very fortunate on that aspect of it all, but it does, you know, it does definitely become a little harder um, once you, you know, you have to make sure that you're physically distancing and, and those type of things. So Amy, uh, what are some of the biggest takeaways uh, that you had from, uh, I guess, you know, your last uh, Paralympic event moving forward to Paris 2024? Uh, well, we have, uh, we have some work to do. Um, you know, we're nowhere close uh, to the, you know, the, the, the very top teams, you know, Turkey and USA, they are outstanding countries uh, in goalball and, and, um, you know, even Russia, Brazil, like it's, it's very competitive around the world and we are close to these teams, but we're not right at their level. So, you know, we, we haven't got to see any of these teams really compete since um, early 2020 and um, even 2019, I think. So it was, it was great to see how teams have adapted through this whole pandemic. And, you know, we, we got a bunch of video footage and we got to compare ourselves do the best in the world. And, you know, so we came home with a lot of data and now we're, we're basically, you know, it's a very short, um, it's only a three year quadrennial now to Paris. So as much as you need to give the off time and the rehab and, and, and all of that extra stuff for injuries, we at least have all this extra data that we can now go and watch and, and take away um, to help us prepare for the upcoming world championships and the qualifying process to Paris. So, you know, yeah, our team didn't do the greatest, but we got so much information from Tokyo, and I think we're very fortunate with that. We're joined by Amy Burke, four-time Paralympian in women's goalball. I'm your host, Brooke Richardson, joined by Cam Jenkins and Josh Watson. Now, the women's program has had a lot of success during international competition over the years. However, it does seem like the last four Paralympic Games 
Canada has had some struggles and unfortunately hasn't reached the podium. I'm wondering, what do you attribute that to? Is that just changeover or people making debuts or um, what do you think might be behind that? I think there's a lot of factors. Um, You know, in 2008, um, you know, we had just missed the semifinals, I think, by basically a goal in one game. Um, 2012, uh, we had a very young team, um, very talented team, and we lost our quarterfinal in double over in, in overtime. Right. So it's, it's, you know, the team is getting far, but we're just missing it by the skin of our teeth. Um, and then Rio, um, I don't really remember what happened in Rio, (laughs) um, but it was, uh, you know, it's just, and then injury in Tokyo. So it just seems to be like, I feel like, uh, you know, the team is, is training hard and preparing for it. And we, we really do have a shot at getting on that podium, but we have these little obstacles in our way. And then the competition, like goalball has evolved so much in my career. Like from when I started until now, it is a complete night and day, the competition on the women's side, just around the world. And it's amazing. Like, it's amazing to see all these countries getting into it and they're succeeding. And so, you know, that means, you know, we might need to have better development, um, better recruitment. And, um, but it's, you know, there's been games where we are just missing a semifinal finish, um, a semifinal berth. Like, we're so close to it. So it's, and then you just go back to the drawing board and you, you figure out what it is that you need to change and what you have to do. And, you know, it's, the work in progress, but our team definitely has the um, the experience and the the talent to get to those semifinal um, berths. But it's just, uh, yeah, it's you know, once you add, it, it's sport, right? Like you can you can beat a team nine times out of ten, but then once you get to the highest level, you could end up losing that one big game by such small margins. And that seems to be, uh, be where we're at, but we're really hoping to change that moving forward. So since being home from the games, uh, what have you been up to and what does the future hold? I've been spending a lot of time with my family. I have two young boys and, um, so being away at Tokyo, we were gone for a month and I know that was hard on them. And, um, so we've just been, you know, this is our, our off season time right now. So I'm dealing with a lot of rehab on my arm and uh, and my back, um, which my back is basically back to normal, but my arm is still, uh, yeah, it's an ongoing process. So trying to go through the proper rehab with that. So I don't have this issue moving forward into the new year. So, um, you know, we just started, um, basically our, our season off with a selection camp, uh, this week here in Ottawa. And, um, but yeah, I've just been, I've just been enjoying the time with my family and um, just enjoying the break. It's been, uh, you know, leading into, into Tokyo, especially with it being postponed was a very long five years. Um, And then just unsure of what was going to happen, right? Like with the games, if they were going to go ahead, if they weren't, it was just such a big mental game. So just after it all, as much as being physically exhausted, everything, it was just mentally exhausting as well. Molly, uh, thanks so much uh, for taking the time to do this interview with us today. We greatly appreciate it, and congratulations on the success of your career, but also going to Tokyo and representing Canada four times in your career. Thank you so much.
That was Molly Burke, who is a four-time Paralympian in the sport of goalball. Amy Burke, I apologize. Amy Burke in the sport of goalball. Coming up after the break, we're going to be discussing Tiger Woods and how he has made a return to the sport of golf and whether or not we're going to see him compete at a high level or whether his injury will hold us hold him back. We'll be back right here on the Neutral Zone. Stay with us. For the neutral zone, call now 1 866 509 4545. And don't forget to give us permission to use your message on the air. Let's get ready to leave a voicemail. Welcome back to The Neutral Zone. My name is Joshua Watson. I'm joined by Cam Jenkins and Brock Richardson. Brock will be back in the host chair in just a few minutes. He's just dealing with a little situation. Uh, In this segment, we're going to talk a little bit about Tiger Woods. In a recent interview, he has opened up about his rehabilitation from an extensive leg injury suffered during a car accident earlier this year. And he also touches on his future in the game of golf. We have a couple of clips that we're going to play for you. And then uh, Cam and I are going to discuss it. In his first major interview since February's car crash, Tiger Woods is opening up to Golf Digest about his recovery. It's been a hell of a road. It's been a long one. It's been a sore one. And revealing that while in the hospital, he feared his leg would need to be amputated. Now, just nine months later, Woods says he's able to walk with limited pain, striding into his interview. I'm able to walk on my own now. Uh, I still struggle going up, up or down. At least I'm able to do it again. That's something that for a while there, it didn't look like I was going to. Um, I'm able to participate in the sport of golf. Now, to what level, I do not know that. And... You know, I'll keep you abreast, all of you guys abreast as progress go, continues to go on, whether or not I'll be out here and, um, and at what level and, and when. I don't know about you, Kim, but I remember that car accident, and I honestly didn't know if he was going to survive. Uh, the fact that he says he's able to walk and sounds like he is playing golf again at any level is is quite surprising to me um will we see him play at a high level i'm not so sure i mean he is approaching 45 if he's not there already um he's older than i thought he was by the way um what do you make of all this because because i'm not ready to rule him out yeah and you know what it's any other person would be just be happy to be alive and um, kind of go from there and golf would be secondary. But uh, with Tiger Woods and his drive, um, you know, that's what he's known for, uh, his exceptional drive and his mental toughness. So to, 
you know, like it wouldn't surprise me, even if he did kind of the, um, you know, a few tournaments a year and it be the majors to maybe get a couple more majors. Like it wouldn't surprise me if he came back and got a major, to be quite honest with you, because it's Tiger Woods. And like, I'm never going to count him out at the end of the day. Yeah, you, uh, you certainly. Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, sorry, Brock, I, I was going to ask you your opinion there in a second, but go ahead. That's all good. You uh, you certainly cannot count um, Tiger Woods out, but when you look at the scenario of what happened, and I read a little bit about his press conference, and as part of the press conference, he outright said, "Look, I, I you know I thought my leg was going to have to be amputated." So the 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 fact that he's even able to as they said in the clip, stride into his, um, you know, press conference with Golf Digest is incredible. Um, for me, it's it's one of those things where I, I you know, regardless of, of car accident or not, I'm looking at his age going, mm, I'm not sure how much more we would have seen with him anyways. Um, but... You know, I think with the accident, if you see him, like Cam pointed out, if you see him at the non-major events to start, I think that's a step in the right direction. And I certainly wish him all the best. Yeah, I think what we'll probably see is, if memory serves me, there's at least one, maybe two tournaments that he either headlines or is directly involved in organizing. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see him at those but to be really honest with you, if it was any other golfer, I would probably think they would ride off into the sunset. But I just don't think Tiger's wired that way. I think he is, much like with his back injuries, going to do whatever he has to do in order to get back playing. And maybe it's not on the PGA Tour, but maybe it's on the Champions Tour. Who knows? Wouldn't it be great if there was a para golf uh, event and maybe he would uh, organize a para golf um, you know, tour, something like that would be really cool to see. That would be something. And anything really that would have uh, Tiger Woods' uh, name on it um, is going to garner attention. I don't care, yeah. you know, if he eventually goes to the, the senior tour and he plays there. You know, I'm not saying that that's where we are now, but he will eventually qualify for those those senior tournaments injury or not and tiger woods is one of those names that once you hear it you immediately know people are going to be watching there's going to be eyeballs um uh watching for sure and his recovery is gonna gonna make for people to wonder uh what's going on with tiger because i grew up knowing Tiger Woods and that's the golfer I knew every Sunday he would he would wear his red you know polo golf shirt and that's Mm -hmm. it right and and it became so synonymous whereas when he had his accident there was a there was a tour done and I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head where everybody wore red and it was Nike and everybody wore it to honor uh Tiger and his recovery and and I think that that just shows you alone uh, the impact that Tiger's made on golf as a whole 
And, uh, you know, I think that that speaks volume. Anything more from either of you on uh, Tiger? Well, just that Tiger moves the needle when it comes to golf and golf coverage. I can remember tournaments in the last few years when he's been playing and not playing at his best, where one camera on the course will be designated to following Tiger because there are so many golfers and non-golfers, as, as you pointed out, who watch a tournament because Tiger's in it. If Tiger's not in it, they don't care. They won't tune in. But the minute you say, oh, Tiger's in this tournament and you know he's, he's 10 strokes back, well, people will watch because there's there's a chance that he could do something amazing. So I, well, I, I think, think this is more more magic. Go ahead, Ken. Yeah, moving forward, it's going to be really interesting. Let's say he never uh, does another tournament again. Um, as you mentioned, um, Tiger Woods, everyone went to see him. Uh, that's why there were so many viewers. Well, what's going to happen if he never does a tournament again? You know, is the viewership going to go down? Is the marketing dollars going to go down? Um, or is there going to be somebody else that's going to kind of step up and kind of keep the ball rolling or the golf ball rolling as it uh, so is? Yeah. And I mean, uh, to, to, to your point there, I mean, I look at the Masters that he was a part of uh, a couple of years ago uh, that he he won. And they were talking about record-setting ratings. And I don't think that's by accident. I think, to both of your points, I think Tiger Woods moves the needle. And I can't think of that next person when Tiger moves on, whenever that is. I can't think of that next person that's going to move the needle the same way that Tiger did, Josh. Yeah, there are there are so many golfers who have come since Tiger who are supposed to be the next thing, and they just they don't pan out. They they might have a nice little career and they might be known by golf fans, but it's it's just not the same. And I don't know what he did differently. Maybe it was just that he started so young and was on those variety shows. I don't know. But somehow he just drew those fans in and who knows what it was. Yeah. It could be the, you know, him being a person of color, um, you know, uh, that might be a, a, one of the huge reasons. And maybe that brought more uh, people to golf and to watch it. And now uh, I don't know who the number one player is, but I think at one point in time over the past couple of years, it was Dustin Johnson and, you know, I don't know if he has the, um, uh, the I don't know the tiger uh, in him the cachet to be able to uh, get as many people watching golf as Tiger did but you know maybe uh, because Tiger's a person of color maybe that brought a lot of other people uh, to golf that normally uh, wouldn't watch it. Absolutely, I uh, couldn't agree more uh, with what both of you have said, and this isn't the first accident we've seen. Um, Tiger uh, really make a comeback from. So as you guys really well pointed out, um, I think if anyone comes back, it's uh, Tiger Woods. We're going to take a break here, but I just want to shout out uh, Josh Watson on the fly there for filling in for me at the top of this segment as I had a cat of mine pay a visit to the studio unwanted, (laughs) but that is being 
taken care of as we speak. So thank you very much, Josh. And we will return on the other side of the break with more sports talk. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson and Cam Jenkins. I just want to shout out our guest, uh, Amy Burke, who I uh, misspoke and called her Molly Burke, and that was, well, my cat was all over my keyboard. Amy, uh, thank you so much for joining us, and I apologize uh, for misspeaking your name earlier. Um, Let's move on to the Canadian Football League. And uh, we now know the uh, matchups for this week. Let's start with the uh, Toronto-Hamilton East final. One of us will be going and freezing their buns off while watching the game. So let's start with Cam Jenkins. How are you feeling about this week's uh, matchup, especially with the news that has come out about Bethel Thompson today? Uh, I feel a lot better on the CFL. uh, So kind of what went down today is um, McLeod Bethel Thompson, he was at the Raptors game at the request of MLSC uh, because they're trying to promote the Argos and they're trying to promote the CFL. So uh, he went to the Raptors game last night and then... um, uh, MLSC, um, the Argos, uh, didn't, um, it's been since the summertime uh, once they made the COVID rules. So they just ended up not um, looking at the rules to realize that he wasn't allowed to do that. So technically, he should have been in COVID protocol for uh, the next four days um, because of that. Um so uh, this afternoon, everyone thought that the uh, backup quarterback for Toronto was going to end up having to uh, play the game on Sunday because being in COVID for four days, it would end up being Monday. That uh, would be the earliest he'd be out. Um, saying that, uh, it looks like the CFL um, uh, made a decision that uh, he would be allowed to be in um, COVID protocol or uh, basically by himself for two days. Um, He is not allowed to practice with the team um, at all or go to any uh, meetings. And uh, he also has to take uh, quite a few uh, COVID tests. And as long as those COVID tests come back negative, including the one on Sunday before the game, uh, then he's going to be able to play. So uh, right there, with not being able to practice for a couple of days and kind of go over the meetings, it's going to be interesting whether or not um, McLeod Bethel Thompson is going to be able to, um, you know, be in um, top shape in order to be able to to do well. Um, you know, you can go one of two ways. Either you look at it to say, well, he's played the entire season, so what's a couple of days off? Uh, you know, he's still going to be weightlifting at home. He's still going to be looking at tapes at home by himself. Um, but the other one is, you know, he, he needs to be able to practice with the team. And you just don't have that same uh, game um, if you're not practicing with the team. So the the reps that, that you need to have. So 
it's going to be really interesting to, you know, see the East final on Sunday. And, you know, the um, Argos, they have won the season series. I believe it was all three games that they beat Hamilton, but a couple of those were by the slimmest of margins. So, you know, if I'm being honest here, I am very concerned um, about the Argos and them winning this Sunday. Um, That's kind of the, um, uh, you know, the objective person that I um, am. Um, But the fan inside me is uh, go Argos go and that they're going to win it by, you know, 17 points. So we'll see. 17 points would be something I've, uh, I've watched most of those games uh, that Hamilton has played against Toronto this year. And they are, for lack of a better term, dog fights. They are just nasty. So it will absolutely be a good game in my opinion one way or the other i'm not as concerned about uh mbt being out the way you might be because and again i don't know exactly how the the covid rules work but i mean i'm connected with you guys through this wonderful invention called zoom I can't imagine that somebody can't put a laptop into the meeting room and have uh, McLeod be there virtually. Uh, I don't know if that breaks the rules, but I can't see how it would. And it's a way for them to, to keep him involved. Sure, he won't have the physical reps, but I think by this point in the season you know what your teammates are going to do. And as a quarterback, it's your job to read the play and be able to, to find your open receiver. So whether or not you've walked through something in practice, I don't think makes that much of a difference, but it will be fascinating to see. All through my career, um, my coaching staff said that by the time you get to in a major event, and this would be a major event, the East final, um, you should know, uh, what's, what's going on. You've been through all your physical, mental preparation and anything that's left at this point, a couple of days removed, uh, f- or, or towards the event, you shouldn't need any more physical, um, prep. It should all be mental prep. So I'm with you, Josh. I, I don't think that MBT, McLeod Bethel Thompson will, uh, have any, um, you know, hangover, if you want to put it that way, or anything like that in that sense, because I think if he's uh, ready, he's going to do all that he can do uh, to to make this happen. Let's uh, chat about the uh, Winnipeg-Saskatchewan game. Now, Saskatchewan uh, really pulled one out of their hat uh, this past week against uh, Calgary, and Bo Levi Mitchell, I don't think this is going to be the same situation. What do you guys think? Cam, start with you. Well, I think that uh, the Bombers this season, um, they kind of ran away with everything. Uh, and I think they have to be the Great Cup favorites. So I'm picking them to certainly be Saskatchewan. Um, you know, Winnipeg, they were had an 11-3 record this uh, season. And, you know... <sighs> I just think that their offense, their defense, like almost every part of the Winnipeg Blue Palmers game um, is going to be really hard to overcome for uh, Saskatchewan. I I agree with you. Um, 
I am curious to see if the Winnipeg running back will be able to play. Uh, I believe his name is Andrew Harris. Uh, because if he can play, then absolutely. I think Winnipeg has this in the bag. It is very hard as a team to pull out your your magic two weeks in a row. So I, I really think Winnipeg is going to run away with this. But, I mean, stranger things have happened as well. So it will all depend on who's playing and whether or not uh, Winnipeg can make use of their full attack. When it's a one-game uh, playoff, you just never know uh, what can happen. You know, in a best-of-seven series, it's one of those things where you may look at it and say, well, the better team is obviously Winnipeg, but in a one-game playoff, you never know. Uh, Mark Bergevin was relieved of his duties, which we talked about in the headlines. Your guys' thoughts on this? Cam, start with you. Well, I think it was, uh, uh, you know, Bergevin had more than enough time in order to be able to make the Montreal Canadiens a Stanley Cup contender. And it just always seemed like, you know, he was never doing enough, um, be it, you know, with the picks that he made. Uh, they didn't seem to really pan out or do well. And it seemed like, you know, he caught lightning in a bottle to go to the Stanley Cup finals last year. Um, and I think he made it, you know, uh, one other year, um, you know, quite well as, uh, you know, as well. But he just always seemed to be putting Band-Aids on the club. And, you know, like the Subban for Weber trade, you know, in hindsight, maybe that was the best trade that he made because uh, Weber is just, or sorry, um, Subban is just a shell of himself. And Weber, up until this year, um, did very well for the Canadians and, um, you know, and having a 10.5 million goalie in carry price, I just don't think that you can win um, having that much tied up in the salary cap. And for years, that has been a conversation, um, you know, in, uh, you know, the circles of Montreal and whether or not they can win with a 10.5 million goalie. So, you know, I... I just don't think Bergevin did a good job uh, being a general manager in Montreal. And it was high time that they finally, uh, you know, uh, let him go. And I'm sure he'll find a job uh, somewhere else in the National Hockey League. It's It's been a fascinating team to follow just in terms, as you said, of the moves that are made and the the the, the strategy or lack thereof. Uh, I do agree with Cam that $10.5 million for a goaltender is a lot of money, but you also have to realize how good Carey Price has been for a long time. If Bergevin is guilty of anything, I think it's probably with um, rewarding veterans a little too much. I think this team needed to get younger a long time ago and go through its bumps and bruises. You've got Cole Caulfield, whose name I never seem to get out correctly. (laughs) You've got Nick Suzuki, both of whom are dynamic players. Uh, You lost Kasperi Kotkaniemi, but there's a chance that maybe that was a blessing in disguise. But, I mean, who else is really around there? You you let Philip Deneau walk during free agency last year. Uh, I mean, again, I go back to what I said in the headlines it feels like this has been a long time coming 
And I personally think that at some point the players just decided going into this season, well, people keep saying he's going to be fired. So why am I going to listen to him? And I think that's, that's gone a long way towards what's, what's gone on here. I don't know if Dominic Ducharme is a good NHL coach and yet he was Bergevin's guy. So it it's a very, very strange situation. I really hope that they can turn it around because I love the Montreal-Toronto rivalry. And I know we all collectively have friends who are Montreal Canadiens fans for some reason. And it's <laughs> it's just fun being able to go back and forth with them. And even your and idea even of fun and my idea of fun are two different things, Josh. <laughs> well, maybe. and we even we even have a boss who is a uh, Montreal Canadiens fan. So uh, had to talk a little bit about that. Of course, do you guys believe that um, uh, Jeff Gorton is the right guy? Now, given given the fact that he doesn't speak English, do you think that? is going to play a factor or does it matter that the GM is the one that's bilingual quick thoughts from both of you, starting with Josh. I think that what you were trying to say is that he doesn't speak French, not that he doesn't speak English. Um, I do think that's important for that market. However, I also think that that is what hamstrings that market when you are only drawing from at least until this point, coaches and general managers who are bilingual, I think it hurts your talent pool, quite frankly. And so I I would like to think that Jeff Gorton is a good choice. However, judging by his track record with New York, I'm not so sure he's the right guy at all. And this feels like it's going to continue to spiral. Uh, Sorry, Canadians fans. Yeah, I'm going to have to disagree with you, Josh. I think that Jeff Gordon is the perfect choice uh, because Montreal is now going to have a two-headed monster where Jeff uh, Gordon, he's going to be at the top of the pyramid and then they're going to hire a general manager um, that's a francophone. So the general manager is going to be the one out there every day and speaking with the media um, and Jeff Gordon's only going to come, you know, once in a while. So, uh I think it's going to be a great setup and I think they're going to do very well moving forward. I think it's um, very, very important for that market. Uh, Whether we agree or disagree, I think it's very important for that market to have bilingual ownership. Uh, People that speak uh, both languages, uh, whether it is to their detriment or not, is something we could debate for hours, but we've only got a minute left. And so... I think it's really important for that to happen. And I do think the Montreal Canadiens are set up for success in the future as long as they get the right pieces in place. That is the end of our show for this week. I'd like to thank Josh Watson, Cam Jenkins. I'd also like to thank our technical producer, Matt Agnew. Our technical supervisor is Paula Deneen. And our manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. And special thanks to our cat wrangler this week. Catherine Batcher for rescuing the cats out of the studio here in Kitchener. I am, of course, your host and producer, Brock Richardson. Catch you next week. Be safe.
This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.